Welcome to Who's That Girl, a new girl podcast. I'm Kelly. And I'm Kritika. And today we'll be discussing Season 1, Episode 15, Injured. This episode originally aired on March 6, 2012, and was written by J.J. Philbin and directed by Lynn Shelton. So J.J. Philbin actually wrote episode four, but when we first talked about her, we incorrectly referred to her as he. So we had mentioned that she had written eight episodes of New Girl over the course of the show and co-produced over 100 episodes. She also, most notably, wrote and produced on the show Single Parents. J.J. Philbin was born Jennifer Joy Philbin and is actually the daughter of Regis Philbin, and she was also known for writing on the OC. She's married to Mike Schur, who you might know as the producer and writer for The Office, co-creator of Parks and Rec and Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and the two of them together have two kids. Lynn Shelton directed four other episodes of New Girl and did about one to three episodes of a number of shows like The Mindy Project, Master of None, Casual, The Good Place, Santa Clarita Diet, and did a couple more episodes of Little Fires Everywhere and Fresh Off the Boat. Unfortunately, she recently passed away on May 16th of this year um, at the age of 54 from acute myeloid leukemia, which is a cancer of the blood. Getting into this episode, during a game of touch football, Jess accidentally tackles Nick, leaving him injured. She takes him to see her gynecologist friend, Sadie, who gives him meds for his back, but happens to notice an abnormal growth on his neck, which leads to him taking an ultrasound that he can't, can't afford. The whole gang deals with his potential diagnosis in different ways, but through the episode, Nick and Jess bond, and at the end of the day, Nick is okay and the gang is closer than ever. So to really dive in... I think let's just start with Nick's football injury because before anything, Jess sits down and tackles someone on her own team. Like I understand that, you know, she's trying to be one of the guys and they kind of were rude to her a little bit before when they were talking at the play, but why would she tackle Nick? Like they're obviously on the same team. Is because she likes him. No, I'm joking. It's just me in my pipe dream wanting things to happen, but <laughs> But uh, yeah, I'm with you. It didn't make any sense. Jess clearly didn't know what was going on, even though she was really trying to be included. And really, it was the four loft mates, right? So it was Nick, Winston, Schmidt, and Jess on a team. They like huddled, they lined up, and they like kicked off against a team of four people that we never saw their faces. Even when Nick was on the ground, they didn't come see if Nick was okay. Who are these friends? Who are these people? Are they just people you met at the park? Is that something that happens? Is pick up football games in the park? Like, what what? Like, I don't know why that was just really tripping me up. I wanted it to be like a moment for the four of them, but like they could have, it just seems like a weird way to try to get this injury to happen for Nick. Yeah, I agree. Probably thinking back, it probably was a game of pickup football in some way, because if they were friends to your point of them not coming around Nick, like even if they couldn't be given speaking roles because of whatever, they were nowhere to be seen in that scene. And that's, like if you're friends with someone, you're going to be coming to them when they're injured. But it's also kind of like even random people aren't going to come check on someone who's like, I can't get up right now. Somebody help me. But then, you know, Winston and Schmidt didn't help Nick get up. The only person that was helping him was Jess and he did not want that. Jess tackled him. Yeah, like she was the cause of his pain. So she did. he didn't want her to help fix it. Yeah. Well, and then Nick went on to be Mr. Tough Guy, you know, where he's like, oh, I need help. I need help. And then he's like, no, I don't need any help. And he like gets in his car and tries to drive away, but then crashes into Winston's car. And then suddenly I'm just like, wait, why, why, did, why did four people who live in the same place go to the same park in four separate cars? Like, 
How? Why? Logistics? In LA, right? Like, it's not like a place where, I would say in Houston, it's a driving city. Like, everybody is always on the road and there is traffic, but LA traffic is notorious. And why would you try and put four cars in that? And later they go to Sadie, her gynecologist or her OBGYN, and they obviously go together. So did one car just get left there? Forever. We forever. It's he's never getting that back. Nick Nick's car's just gone. Winston's car, we saw it the whole rest of the episode. So maybe he and Schmidt came together in the breaking down car. I have no idea, but we don't know what happens to Nick's car. <laughs> or Jess's car. Like Jess could have driven Nick's car there, but like we just like they just don't close that loop. Well, and it doesn't make any sense. And also like if Nick didn't have a head injury, I'm not really sure why he would have crashed. But also he only hit the bumper. So I'm just like, was it really an accident? Was he really unfit to drive? Was he just like frazzled? You know, I I, I was just ready for Nick to like, eh, I don't know. It just all of everything about that beginning scene, setting us with the scene of like Nick getting injured and having to go to Jess's gynecologist to me was like comedy of of errors and like what just happened here they should have checked him for like a concussion of some sort which it doesn't look like sadie ever did but i think the crashing is more about like if you're in pain like muscle spasms too like if he couldn't move really that's probably why so i mean he does end up getting something for his pain at the gynecologist when he gets there and for his um baby backache as sadie puts it <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, he gets mitol, or assumably, right? Like, we assume he gets the PMS-specific ibuprofen. I don't know if it's technically ibuprofen. I, I did think it was sweet that, like, I mean, Jess is just trying to say, like, oh, well, sorry that my only doctor friend is a gynecologist, you know? Like, this is who you're going to get if you have no insurance and no money. But then even the scene, even the scene where Sadie is trying to be like, here, this is like what we use for severe cramps. And then she's like, do not take that. I did not give that to you. Why would you take random medication? Like that is not prescribed to you. And like just her sassiness with like trying to tell him. Cause like seeing that scene, even just fitting him into like in between patients to me, I was like, isn't this so many like HIPAA problems, like HIPAA code deals. Like it just seemed like not a very doctor thing to do is just like even check someone out unofficially at their place of work. During work hours. During work hours. Yeah. It's not just that she's doing it at the place of work and like unofficially giving him meds that he's like now taking. And I was also shocked at Jess's handling of the whole situation because I I know she said that she's into shenanigans if she knows about them, but I always kind of got a goody two-shoes kind of vibe from Jess. And so for her to say, that's code, take the medicine, take the medicine, I was not expecting that from her at all. I don't know. I feel like at this point, we've kind of established that I have a just like mentality oftentimes. If I was in that moment and I saw the doctor give Nick the meds, I would at least take a second to clarify. Although Jess brought him to Sadie with like not even a thought. Like, I think I would be actually first like, can I actually take him to my friend who's like kind of in a doctor background? Because I would worry about like ruining their license or whatever, whatever kind of rules that doctors have around seeing people that are not their patients. It seems like it wasn't the first time that Jess did something like that or that Sadie has helped Jess out, which is why I think she was so confident going into it. But it was still surprising for us because we have never seen Jess in that capacity and like acting like not really breaking the rules, but kind of like kind of bending the rules, I would say. Um, and it, it was interesting to watch her in that capacity. And 
But at the same time, when Nick is sitting there saying, did you bring me to a gynecologist? And she goes, no, she's my OBGYN. I couldn't tell if Jess truly thought they were different things or if she was just like, I don't know, making a joke that like Nick was just like, I don't know why, Jess, why are you doing this? Yeah, well, I th- I thought kind of the same thing. And I couldn't tell, like you said, like if it was like she seriously didn't understand or if, to me, if it was like, is she trying to trick Nick into that? It's just like, no, it's a different kind of doctor. Like it's it's not a gynecologist. It's an OBGYN, you know, and it's like everyone knows those are like the same thing. I actually think that's a really valid point. It's probably that she was trying to play it off for Nick so that he didn't like run out of there and you know, not get the help he needed. And then when he met Sadie, he just, it was a really weird scene to me because he acted like he didn't know who Sadie was when he was sitting there, when he was like, is she a gynecologist? But he's met Sadie before and it's possible that he didn't know what she did for work and he just knew that she was Jess's friend. But it was like kind of weird to me that in the episode that we did see her in previously, Jess and Julia, Schmidt knew hit her like occupation and Nick didn't if if he didn't at this point yeah I went back to the scene where like Sadie and Nick were like having a conversation so they at least like because they were talking about Julia because it was like Cece Jess and Sadie all talking about Julia and Nick comes in and they're talking to him and Nick most definitely should have known who Sadie was Sadie seemed in this in this episode seemed to know who who Nick was, but then Jess even should have realized that both of them had met the way she was phrasing it too. Like, Oh, we're at my OBGYN. I feel like if she were to say like, Oh, we're at Sadie's office, Sadie's doctor's office, then maybe that was like, it adds familiarity. I I'm with you that it was weird because in, in Jess and Julia, they definitely knew who each other were. Like you said, I don't think in that episode, Nick and Sadie understood what the other did for work per se in either direction. But then at this point, it wasn't a whole new situation. It was, no, you guys had met at least one time. She was in your house, Nick. You spoke with her. <laughs> you should know who each other are. And with the interaction they had in Justin and Julia, even then they were already familiar. Like it wasn't, hey, this is my friend Sadie. It was just like introducing her like she's like she's been around as much as Cece has, which we haven't seen. But I mean, we don't see every moment of their fictional lives. So it's possible they had met multiple times. And it's it just was like a weird dynamic playing out in the doctor's office. Because even when she interacts with him in the doctor's office, she is more familiar with him than he seems to be with her. Yeah. No, I, I agree with that and see that too. I'm really glad that, you know, Sadie is such a good friend to Jess that extends to Nick to say, oh, I'll call a friend and we'll get you booked with an ultrasound. Because it's also not common, I would think, to get an ultrasound the very next day. Oh my gosh, no. Like, it's it takes a while. Like, doctor's offices are not just like sitting around waiting for people to show up with like potential growths on their thyroid and whatnot. So like, yeah, I'm, I'm very surprised too that that, that, gratuity if you will like or if that's the right word like if that gratuity extended like you said beyond Sadie to whoever this new doctor is so very friendly doctors in LA (laughs) right (laughs) it's all about who you know I guess networking even for health health concerns (laughs) but Nick spends the episode kind of getting like scared of it all after that yeah he kind of he to me like the next scene is like Jess and Nick like in a cafe, I think just kind of like recouping after that, after that 
doctor visit with Sadie. And to me, like that whole time, he was just like evading and really just exploring, you know, like, hey, I'm not going to go get it checked. I don't want to even know. Like, it's totally like a scary thing, you know, like he's scared and like he wasn't really admitting that. But I think Jess was just really a good friend to kind of like support him and do her Daffy Duck impression the way her mom would do. And it was just, you know, being nice and whatnot. And so then Nick's like, oh, I'm going to go to work. But then, you know, Jess is like, oh, well, I'm coming too. And that's, oh man, all the friends at the bar. I thought it was super funny that like, he's like, there's no evidence that Sadie gave him more medication. But then at the bar, he starts taking more of the cramp medication. And then this like customer down the bar is like, oh yeah, I take that too when I have a heavy flow. And I'm just like, Nick, you really couldn't get any other aspirin? Like, why are you still taking this, like, menstrual cramp pain medication? Like, I don't understand. But she gave a box of pills to Jess when she she gave him. Yeah, so she gives him two pills to take right there with a glass of water. And then she hands the rest of the box to Jess, like an actual pill box that he's holding later. But the thing is, the box looked kind of like an unmarked box of pills, like like a medicine box pillbox that doesn't have a label of what it is because also that kind of pillbox you don't get in doctor's offices you have to get them filled at a pharmacy like you only get samples at a doctor's office so a lot of questions there that I'm not going to poke that bear but (laughs) maybe that's why I was confused because I totally missed that she just like kind of hands it off right before she's like oh take this take this like don't take that I didn't give you that what is that like during that scene right before that she just casually passes just like a whole pillbox so casually that I clearly am not even paying attention to a show that I need to pay attention to so what the, I totally missed that <laughs> well that explains that but still like weird for the lady down the bar to be like yeah me too bro and you're like what <laughs> And how did you like, okay, that is a generic pillbox. And even if it was marked, like she read it from down the bar, she read the name of it and was like, yes, that's the medication I take. Like you probably aren't going around broadcasting, I have a heavy flow or how, whatever it is. That's probably not that it needs to be something you should be ashamed of, but like, why would you want to share that? Like it didn't. With a stranger. Like, was it, was that woman getting the upper hand, making fun of Nick? I like, I don't know. I thought that was like a little moment where I like chuckled, but then I'm like thinking about like, who who would do that? <laughs> like who would read the pill from across the bar and then comment on their own menstrual situation? It was a lot. I mean, great for comedy, but also just, I don't know who this lady is and why she's so invested. And so confident in sharing it with an open room. Just a little note that to me, that was like just such a like moment of the of New Girl. Their little their little quips we've said before are just what kind of gets us. Another thing, too, is that the gang is like looking at, you know, online, they're starting to cry, which like they're crying is like, wait, what? And they're trying to see, like, get it checked out. And they're looking on their phones and their phones are just like even Nick comes over and he looks and he's like, oh, wow, is this like what I could have? Like, a, and it says like thyroid tumor in the back. But then on top of it is this big skull and crossbones that's just like warning death. And I'm just like, really, guys? Really? Like, this is the internet you're getting on your phone. 
Even in 2012, this is not okay. I love that it was like kind of spoofing WebMD because everybody who goes to WebMD and puts in their symptoms is like, I'm dying tomorrow. And that's exactly <laughs> where Nick is. Yeah. No, definitely. And and it really and it really I guess the evening progresses to the point where he's taking so much of these mystery pills from this mystery box that I didn't even realize that he's trying starting to feel kind of like drunk on the pills. I don't I'm like you I think hot is that what it is? Just like can you get high off pain pills? If you take so many of them in a short period of time. <laughs> Critique is just like surprised by me. <laughs> also like most of those pain pills you're not supposed to mix with alcohol and I don't know if he's drinking but that could definitely like have impacted his state as well yeah no true I mean while he's tending a bar he probably shouldn't be drinking but who knows what their rules are at that place but anyway so he he's like taking these he's high on these pain pills and then you know Jess is coming over and trying to like support him again and um and he just kind of goes off on her, I feel like, but in a cute way, but in like kind of goes off on her because she's like saying like the joke about Daniel Boone and it's like frontier, you know? And he's like, you can't talk at my funeral. Like he's, his mind's already at the fact that he's going to be dead and he's going to have a funeral. And she's, he's like, you can't talk because you can't be a real person. You know, like you're always making jokes and that totally hit like just the wrong way. I don't know. It got, he wasn't very nice while he was being high. (laughs) No. And like, to your point about like saying it cutely, I think that is all the drugs that he was taking, which just like the way he said it, but it was really mean, like, and it kind of makes you wonder like if he honestly feels that, or if he just kind of lashing out again, like he does when he's hurt and scared, but she was definitely crushed by that too, because she, I don't think she considers herself as someone who can't be real, but obviously she does consider herself as an optimist. And I think especially that comment coming from someone who's like ignoring signs of things that medically he needs to go check out like I think that's not being real because you're avoiding everything and you're hiding and in denial whereas Jess is the one kind of trying to make him do stuff so I also didn't agree with the way he phrased that and like what he was trying to say there yeah I think that's a good point I mean that's something in the past we've talked about it's just like Nick is like insecure avoiding things and not really confronting how he's actually doing but then the rest of the gang too, like clearly he kind of upsets Jess, rubs her the wrong way, but then like somehow it turns into this song and, and Winston's playing the piano and real quick, Winston, like when he starts singing, I don't, fun fact out there is that he, to me, he starts to sound like Aaron Neville. We're going to include a link in our show notes of what Aaron Neville sounds like, but that like, <laughs> I don't know. I can't, I can't make the sound, but like the way that he's singing and like ex- emphasizing notes is like, how um Aaron Neville sounds and sings so thought that was kind of funny for Winston to be doing an impression almost but they start playing this piano and they're making a sad song and you're just like who is this supporting who is this helping and it was a ridiculous ridiculous song and I don't know when it's changed from this like kind of R&B vibe into a straight up rap And I did really enjoy Cece, first of all, commenting that she's the sober one amongst all this because I can't imagine sitting through all that sober and like also just, you know, that whole gang and that scene. But like, I did appreciate her like kind of jumping in and not not making it this big like, 
oh my God, you guys are so dumb. You're drunk. You don't know how to like, you know, just being like high and mighty about it. She was more just like, I'm sober and this is hilarious to watch and I'm going to jump in. I'm going to be part of it. And she like starts rapping and then they all kind of like riff off of her rap, which I kind of enjoyed. I was like, this is not really what I was expecting out of the scene when I was watching this, like them all be really, really sad for Nick. But then, you know, it kind of did set the mood right back to where I expected it to be with Jess kind of calling Nick out for lack of a better term. Yeah. Well, and with Cece, I actually like kind of coming back to some things we noticed before is there were moments, there were like key moments where Cece was kind of becoming more of the gang that we were noting. And this to me is like, almost a moment to show that she is she's part of it like she's not living in the aloft with with all of them but she's like very much welcomed almost as much if not more or like or if not the same amount as Jess because she was able to seamlessly come in and riff off everyone and then they came in and riffed off her you know so I did I appreciated I appreciated that CC moment um but yeah but then I know with Jess coming in I felt I felt very like oh Jess like okay, yeah, you're trying to be real. You're trying to make your point. Like Nick is, Nick said, you're not real enough, but like, and, and kind of knowing Jess from previous episodes, she can't just like let things hang and come back to them later. She has to just like make a point about it. And so she's starting to get real, like right there. Like Nick Miller doesn't do anything and turns into this whole thing that then, I don't know, it was kind of like a sad moment. And Nick's just like, well, I'm the kind of person that, if I don't know what I'm going to do, I can't do it. Like I sit on the beach and I watch the wallet. So then they go to the beach because that makes sense. I don't know. I thought like he was giving it. So like to me, the way he said that was like a metaphor. Like if this were to happen, I would be this guy. But then he's suddenly becomes like a no, I need to do this thing right now. And I'm like, okay, okay. <laughs> I guess we're going to the beach now. <laughs> I kind of thought that was prompted by Jess. Like she hears this and she's like, well, let's go do it. Maybe it was. I don't know. I still thought it was a little random because it was a more of a metaphor to me than it was an actual thing he was scared of. Isn't he scared of water? Oh, yeah. That was one of Nick Miller's fears. <laughs> so maybe this was the right thing to do. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I mean, he, he says it so nonchalantly. He does go running in like and, – and I will say that that's all him. When they get to the beach, it is all him. No one is prompting him forward. He's like, I'm going to go do this. And then – I mean, it's a terrible idea to run into the beach at night. Why do you think it's terrible? Because I think it'll be cold. Like he runs in and he's like, oh, it's so cold. This was a terrible idea. Like that I think should have been expected. Well, especially at night, like and in winter because it's like winter right now. But yeah, it's not. Yeah, it's like just going to be spring. But I feel like in March, which is when this was airing, it's probably still cold at night at least. Yeah. No, agree. But yeah, I, and well, and you can kind of tell that when he runs in and, and runs out and he comes back and he grabs his clothes and stuff, but like. It doesn't really change his him and at all, really. He's still scared. He's still nervous about it. He doesn't feel like he accomplished things by running into the ocean. He just feels dumb. I don't know. That's my take. Like he just, I don't know. He, he it didn't do much for him other than have a moment on the beach where they could have a complex thoughts. I don't know. <laughs> I think it kind of proved the point that he could do it, but I don't think it's going to change him long term to your point. Like I don't think like next episode we're going to see him change. I think what did you say he doesn't do anything if he doesn't know what's going to happen? I don't think that's going to change. But what I this whole scene like one of the things I really did like though is 
that callback. Like I love when the episodes call back to something we've seen in a previous episode. And in this episode, it was during um, when they get right out of the car at the beach and Winston was telling Schmidt that this is the day that he might see Nick's penis calling back to naked where he was the only one in the loft that hadn't seen it. And I, I really enjoyed that, even though in the very next scene, as he like takes off running towards Nick, the next time we see them, Jess is like much closer to Nick, even though she hadn't even left. And I was, maybe Schmidt's not a fast runner, but I was confused as to how he didn't make it. Oh yeah, you're right. Like Jess is definitely like near Nick, near the water and, and Schmidt is not even close. So I'm guessing from the scene, we can conclude that Schmidt did not see Nick's penis and that is still a hunt a conquest, I don't know, using Schmidt terms, something that he that he wants to achieve and see Nick's drunk. Nick, too, is just his his breakdown for me was was kind of, I don't know, impactful, especially because we've commented on so much about how like he is struggling. This is really a bigger show about like Nick growing up, like growing and like going through his depression in a way. And I thought his little breakdown, honestly, like while I was saying like, maybe that doesn't change Nick from like, okay, he ran in the ocean and now he's, he, he didn't like he did that, but like at least prompted him to say, I'm not okay. And he was able to very clearly state it because Jess is just trying to be nice. Like, are you okay, Nick? And he's like, no, I'm not okay. And so it, I think just was a really big moment for Nick to admit that and be able to kind of take that moment on his own. And just like, especially too, cause he's just contemplating how it's like, I woke up wanting to just hang out with my friends today. And then I ended up going to a doctor who then told me that I might have cancer. So like what a turn of events in a day. So like, even from beyond that though, I just, I really appreciated that Nick had that moment if I'm not okay. And we have to remember that this is one episode after him and Julia broke up. And even if even if he wasn't in a super serious relationship, like living together or anything like that, we noted that he may have said, I love you. We don't know if that was on purpose or not, but there, he was getting there. Like he was getting to those feelings with Julia. And immediately after now, he's like dealing with health issues. So it was really hard for me to watch as well because – I appreciated that he was able to get there like you did, but it was also just like your heart goes out to him. Just you want good things to happen to him, just like we've been saying, because you're right, we've been commenting almost every episode on first his denial and then his kind of slow growth, hoping that he gets out of what may have been kind of a depression and like a low point of his life. But it was really nice to see he likes Jess and he likes having her around. I know we were very, very excited by that scene. Very excited. I was just like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. He just said that. You know, I, I freaked out, freaked out at the TV. It's like so much emotion in this little beach scene. It was so much emotion. And it, it, you know, I think we get to see Nick Miller do something and just be real and kind of like break those conversations they've been having with each other. And I think Jess understands that Nick is kind of lashing out at her, has been lashing out of her, at her out of fear. And that's true friendship too. Knowing that your friends can take what you throw at them. And while it may not always be in the right, that they're there for you and you're there for them. Mm -hmm. And while even, even Nick in that moment is like, I'm not going to remember this tomorrow, or am I? And Jess is like, no, but like, she knows at least maybe in the same way that the other comment of like, Jess, you're never very real. But like this comment too is like, but I like having you around. And 
just understood it, just heard it. And at least she knows that, you know, she maybe isn't like us thinking, oh my gosh, this means something like they're going to like, he likes her. Oh my gosh. But Jess at least is like, Hey, he doesn't dislike me. He does like me. And like as a friend and we're good roommates in the loft. So I, I, it was a really sweet moment. It was really, really nice. But then honestly, somehow very casually, they all fall asleep on the beach they wake up and, oh, check my watch, time to go. Happened to be perfect timing. They were running late, but they made it there. And they go get the ultrasound. And, you know, I I at least thought it was really nice that the friends, like, he he gets there and they're just like, oh, like, your insurance, please. He's like, yeah, I got, I got paper and change. Like, I got cash. Like, I have no insurance. And, but then everyone chips in to, to get to pay for the surgery. Well, not for the surgery, but like for the ultrasound, they all chip in to pay for that. It was really nice. Yeah. It echoes the, the theme that I was saying where like your friends are there for you and you're there for your friends. Like Nick isn't always there the same way for his friends, but they, they're, they're definitely there for each other. Yeah. It was, it was really amazing of them, but kind of just focusing on like Schmidt for a minute Critique and I both just were so, so mad at Schmidt in the scene on the beach, which we were just talking about. And Nick has his little moment where he's like, I'm not okay. And he goes, stomps away. The next thing that said, and I'm sure that the writers meant this as like a humor comedic relief, so it didn't get too deep. But Schmidt just says, Nick, is this the wrong time to say that you should lose five to seven pounds? And I don't know about like all of you listening, but Katrika and I both watching the show were like, yes, this is the wrong time, Schmidt. Be a better person. Be a better friend right now. Like step it up. (laughs) I'm like literally speechless at the moment because, you know, even I think in a very recent podcast, Kelly was saying that she really didn't appreciate that the writers kept talking about Nick's pooch. And this is now the third wave joke. And we had told you guys in a previous trivia and fun facts that Jake Johnson was actually asked to lose like 15 pounds for this show. And I think it's just kind of mean to keep harping on it. And it's not really funny anymore. Like at some point, the joke's got to stop. Yeah. And I seriously thought the last time that's right about like the, the cookies and the pooch and all of that, like bringing that up again and just like Nick's weight. He's really not overweight. Like he's not. I mean, Schmidt used to be overweight. Why would, like, he should know, like, these kinds of comments don't help that they sting, that they hurt. Like, I would imagine. To Nick's credit, he doesn't give it much thought. Like, and, you know, we've also said, ignore everything Schmidt says. So, you know, it. he needs to stop because he is kind of the person doing it most of the time. But it was really just not a great timing either. Right. I know. I think that's what honestly made it that much worse is it's not only is it another comment, but it's like the timing after Nick is like having a little bit of a breakdown. So step it up, Schmidt. That's all I got to say It's not like, what are you thinking? But more just like now you need to like move forward, which but also like then he's talking with Cece this episode and, you know, Cece's having a little one to one like heart to heart moment with him, too, and letting her him know that her dad died when she was younger, like that's a huge piece of information to learn about the girl that you're literally hooking up with on the regular and like maybe not dating, but you want to date. And Schmidt's reaction is to just be like relating that to a cat. 
That one wasn't as bad for me because Stacy seemed to take it well, which I think he was trying to like lighten the mood and like he he was being himself in that moment in a way that Stacy kind of appreciated because she laughs at the end of that scene. But I think it was huge to learn that her dad died when she was 12 because that's another piece of information we kind of are getting a little bit more about her because she's not a main character. We don't get as much. But my problem with Schmidt and Cece in this episode is they're being kind of couple And I think everyone's really like distracted by the Nick stuff, which is fair. But like in the bar, he literally puts his head on her boob and she's talking about how like, oh, is this an excuse you're using? Everybody else is in the bar. Like, are they not watching this? Do they not notice that this is happening? Or do they just, oh, this is Schmidt being Schmidt. Like, I'm so confused because she doesn't want people to know. Yeah, I, same. I was also confused by that. It didn't, it did seem like a very public display of affection when they don't want to be public about this at all. And that nobody has any inkling that they have anything to do with each other other than her being Jess's friend. So I, I'm very much with you there. It was very confusing. I will say though, like as it kept going, like to me, I kind of felt like by the end of the episode, like Schmidt was striking out with Cece. I mean, they were kind of having these unique, like, or like you said, like couple moments, but then Schmidt was just like, to me, he just really wasn't turning out to be supportive in the way to either Nick or to, he wasn't being supportive to Nick or to Cece when she's t- talking about her dad, even I, that's how I felt about it. I guess you're right. Maybe Cece did laugh at the end of that, that scene about the dad, but it's still like, what? <laughs> I just, I was feeling like he could have just done better overall, even with Cece. It could have definitely been handled better. Like with the Nick thing, he kind of blames it on not using like a Bluetooth and that's why he got this. And with Cece, you're right. Like, it's him being true, and even if Cece appreciated it, that doesn't mean that it was necessarily the right moment to say a joke. Like, you can, you can definitely empathize more, and he definitely he wasn't capable of that in that moment, or he wasn't he didn't basically. He just continued being Schmidt, for lack of a better term. But the last character that we wanted to talk about a little bit more is Winston and most specifically Winston's car. So we talked about how at the very beginning, Nick crashed into Winston's beat up car. And one of the best lines I think in the show as well is how when Nick crashes into it and Winston's freaking out, Nick's like, I only did this one right here. I didn't do any of the other like dents and bumps and everything this car has. He actually says, too, I actually think I undid that dent right there. You know, like he thinks he actually fixed the car a little bit by hitting it. I also love, too, they take the car to a mechanic because of the tiny bump on the bumper. And the mechanic's like, yeah, this isn't even a car anymore. (laughs) Like, this is not, you cannot be driving this around. And knowing that he got the car as an illegal recruitment gift from a college he didn't go to, that was just like thrown in there. Like, you know, nobody really discussed it again, but I was so in shock that like that means that he basically got it before college he got it in high school so he said they're about 30 so this is like a 12 year old car completely beat up like (sighs) it's it's time to move on (laughs) yeah especially if it's already in such bad shape that like it was making noises that like schmidt was calling out too 
Yeah. Well, and it's kind of, I don't know, the one moment, I I was a little frustrated by this too, because the one moment that they're having, or Winston has, like, let me preface this by saying, like, I get how things can be sentimental. My husband and I have a name for our car, and it's also, like, 12 years old right now, and I feel very sentimentally attached to it. I'm a, like, I'm kind of ready for that new car, but I'm not really ready to say goodbye to our to our car, you know, like it's the car that my husband's had since high school. It's really that same effect. And so I get how a car could be sentimental and you just have so many moments in it. But the part that I'm like, really Winston is the moment he remembers or the flashback that happens of that moment is a girl walking by the beat up car and being like, is this your car? And flashes him. And that's the moment Winston remembers as being like such a good moment. And I'm like, Winston, you're better than this. Come on. We're like, I know you used to like just hook up on the down low with Shelby or whatever you did with her, but like, no, you're better than this now. That is not your favorite memory in this car. Like, I want you to be better, like more than I want Schmidt to be better. Like, I don't know why I have just higher, higher expectations of Winston to just be like a genuine person. Maybe that's because Schmidt always puts the money in the douchebag jar. I don't know. But I was so like, Really, that's your favorite moment in this car. That's why it's hard to say goodbye, Winston. Ugh. I think you judge Winston more harshly because you like Winston more than you like Schmidt. So you want more from him. And you know he's capable of more just from like the little scenes we've seen recently, like you're saying with Shelby. But I just remembered that he was in Latvia for like two years. So where was this car and what was happening with this car for those two years? Because it's like years of memories. You probably didn't take your car to Latvia with you. So you've said goodbye to it before then. And it should not be that hard to say permanently. But I did like that he kept the license plate at the end. And, you know, that's a way he's going to remember this car. Yeah, I'm I, I like that moment too to kind of keep the license plate and like that's that's kind of a traditional thing to do is keep that and and have that memory. Um but yeah, I I'm just like maybe he drove the car to Latvia through the ocean and that's how it looks like it looks. <laughs> I mean, that would explain why it's so bad, but the other thing about like him just leaving his car outside the place where Nick got an ultrasound, two things on that. One, you can't just like leave your car and walk away. That's not okay you need to call a tow truck you need to get it moved to the right spot and second they all got out and started walking which is surprising in itself but you know he takes his time says goodbye and starts walking with them but there's nothing in the car and I don't know about you but I definitely always have stuff in my car that if I were to leave it somewhere I would need to like go through the glove compartment go through all the seats like there's definitely stuff in my car that I couldn't just walk away from yeah stuff that's like maybe some trash on the ground let's be honest but like stuff that's like you know the title of the car insurance like actual documents <laughs> like important things you know that you and you can't and also it's like it definitely didn't look like a hospital like an ER kind of space but it looked like you know, a doctor's office where there was no parking where he left it. So it's not only did he park it and walk away, but he parked it in a place he probably shouldn't have parked it in the first place and then left it. Yeah, I don't understand how he just left, like walked into the doctor's office like that or the wherever they were because I'm guessing it just couldn't make it to a spot <laughs> because of the way that car runs, it just, we got here, that's, that's the best we can do. Of all the cars that we were introduced to at 
the football scene at the very beginning. Somehow Winston's car was the one, like we said earlier, like what happened to these other cars? I don't know. But somehow Winston's car was the one chosen to escort them around town. And I guess I'm just glad that it did actually get them to the doctor's office for Nick to have his ultrasound. So there was that. But that really brings us into our Schmidtism because the one that Kritika and I called out this time was really Schmidt and Cece on the beach. We talked about that scene a little bit, but really how it kind of comes through too of like Winston and Schmidt at the end with his car. So Kritika is going to be our Schmidt. And in this first one, when we're talking about Schmidt and Cece sitting at the beach having their conversation, Kritika is going to be Schmidt and I'm going to be Cece. You know what I'm thinking about, Cece? What, Schmidt? That when you stand up, there's going to be like a perfect imprint of your butt in the sand. That is what you're thinking about now with your best friend going through what he's going through? I know, I know. Then why would you say that? I don't know why. Why would anyone say that? I've never gone through anything like this. Yeah, well, I have. What happened? My dad died when I was 12. That's, um... The only way to get through it is to get through it. I had a cat that died. Don't compare my dad to your cat. It was a big cat. I mean, human size. In scene. That, to me, that last line, a big cat, human size, when I first heard it, I definitely thought that Schmidt was talking about the bird cat that lived on the roof. (laughs) But yeah, again, we were just kind of talking about this scene. Such a moment where Cece's really opening up. Cece's trying to be like, yo, dude, have some feelings. And Schmidt's just like, it's okay. My cat died. It was a human-sized cat. It's fine. Like, I understand death. And you're just like, no, Schmidt. No. No, no, honey. You don't. (laughs) Like, if that's your one experience, you do not. But I mean, he does kind of say he's never been through something like this. So I think he recognizes that he hasn't, like, had that same experience. But I think he's trying to make her feel better with the cat human size because it does work. She laughs. And that's the, like, ending of that scene. So I don't – I don't know that we can say whether it was the right move or not based on how Cece reacted. I don't think either of us would really appreciate it if that was the conversation with us. So our second Schmidtism, um, kind of following that scene, you know, they have the evening on the beach, they fall asleep, they wake up the next morning. Schmidt sees the little butt print in the sand that he thought was going to be there. That was so perfect, which... What? After sleeping there? Okay, okay, sure. It was there. Give it that give that to you, Cece. But <laughs> they're all starting to drive away in Winston's car, the crazy car that's breaking. And that's where I'm saying, like, I guess I'm really glad that this car made it to the doctor, like without an issue. Because Winston, like everyone's starting to get in the car, and Winston's just like, I hope you didn't get sand in my car. And Schmidt says, That's this car's problem. Too much sand. Oh my God, there's soot coming in from the floor. And it's just classic. Oh, Schmidt. Oh, Schmidt. But in this moment, spot on. Like, thank you, Schmidt. Captain Obvious, but also like, thank you for being Captain Obvious. Because Winston, like, even though we understand being sentimental about cars and just things in general, Winston had some crazy ideas about what that car was was and, and how it was working because he's like yeah you're worried about sand in your car after you spent the night on the beach like you shouldn't have driven your car if you're worried about sand but also look at your car like look at it <laughs> is sand really the worst thing that could happen to it oh man so just thought just that those were two really kind of funny moments not maybe like as high caliber as like youths right but 
some cute moments of Schmitz in this in this episode. Um, but getting into our not in 2020, uh, the one moment that really stuck out to me, at least, was right at the very, very, very beginning. They're all huddling up to like call the plays. Schmitz going, okay, like Nick, you ever go over there? Winston over there? And Jess, you run to the car and like, or you run to the parking lot and then take the car back to the loft and wait for us to get home. And I just was like, Schmidt, Jess is just trying to bond with you guys. She's just trying to have fun. Also, if you're playing four on four football, pick up football in the park, which I guess is what we've established. Then if you lose your fourth man, what are you going to do? Maybe Jess didn't know the rules well. She did tackle her own player on her own team. Okay. But I kind of just took that as like a dig at women and how he was like not thinking Jess was super tough and like how Jess shouldn't be playing football. So it just kind of like irked me, rubbed me the wrong way. Yeah, I think it kind of could be a dig at women in that front. And I agree with you in that sense. Like it's kind of just saying like, oh, sports are for men and that's not really true. Um, I will say though, to Schmidt's credit in this scene, Jess is probably not the best football player, even touch football to your point. Like you said, she did tackle Nick. So I I do think it was a little bit more like, oh, you're a woman. But even if, if that was taken out, it, it's not surprising to me that Jess would have screwed the game up for them. Yeah, I guess that's right. I mean, that's true. Maybe I was just hearing it that way and like interpreting it that way. Maybe he was just trying to be like, yeah, Jess, I've seen your room even and how like crafty it is. Maybe this isn't your scene. So like that I kind of get. But then but then also like from a this is, I guess, less not in 2020. But again, with the cars and like all of them have separate cars. He's like, get in the car when it's like she had her own car. She purposely drove here in her own car (laughs) to be with you guys playing. And to me, I guess that's maybe the other part. So maybe if it even wasn't like a dig at women, maybe it was just like, Jess, like you don't belong here type of thing. I think that's another one of those moments though. It's like Schmidt is always trying to say like suppress the Jess or he was, you know, that like, okay, well here she is trying to be hanging out with you guys, you know? And she like made a point to be here. So I don't know. I just think Schmidt should have been a little more accepting and just let her play, even if she didn't know what was happening. And, like, I think how it could have been more, like, Jess-like is if he told her to run in, like, the opposite direction or something like that or something less obvious as, like, get in the car and go. Um, I think it could have maybe played out a little bit better. Like, it would have still, I think, gotten the point across that they're trying to make of, like, Jess is, like, dumb at football or, like, not, like, into the game, but without being – completely dismissive because you're right she's there to hang out with them and here's the other thing that probably wasn't the first play of the game that we're watching it's definitely some time into this game that they've been playing with this other team so the way I read it was definitely more of that it had been some time and she'd just been like making bad play after bad play and that's why he said it that way but I don't think that that's something that is established it's just how I interpreted it versus you so I agree like I can see where you're coming from of like putting that into this category as well yeah so I mean there were there were a few other moments like we've said in this episode that were just like maybe that's a little funny the technology was not great but like this was really a moment for us that we were just like well even if like you're saying it, it, if maybe with more context, it wasn't really how I interpreted it, which is very possible, but it still was like on the cusp. So kind of not in 2020. 
Exactly. But the next section we're going to get into is more pop culture. So there were a few in this episode. Uh, We always touch on a couple to highlight and put the rest in show notes for you so you can see all the pop culture references that we catch. So the first one we were going to highlight is Fredo Kiss. And this is basically the kiss that Schmidt kind of surprises Nick by kissing him a couple times. And he keeps asking him, why are you Fredo kissing me? So I figured this was a reference to something, but I didn't know what when I first heard it. And so when I was looking this up, it looks to be more of a slang term. And what I found on the internet is that it kind of means when a man abruptly grabs another man and kisses him out of brotherly love. But what was kind of interesting about this is it started from the godfather when Michael Corleone kisses his brother Fredo. And so I thought it would be more relevant to like the Godfather and how it actually portrays in that. But in the Godfather, it's actually known as the kiss of death in the mafia. So it's a sign that the mafioso boss um, means that a member of the crime family is marked for death due to some betrayal that they've had. But obviously, I don't think Schmidt was trying to mark Nick for death by any means. Yeah, no, it definitely was a brotherly love type of thing. Um, I it's kind of funny. I heard that term in here and it's, and I have seen the Godfather before, but not enough to be like a super fan of it, I would say. But I, I heard the term like, Oh, why are you Fredo kissing me? And I feel like I, I, I felt like I should have known what that term was or came from and like what that reference was. But it's interesting that you looked it up and it's actually a little bit more just slang now. But yeah, I I don't think Schmidt was marking marking Nick with a kiss of death, especially because he did it again. If he only did it at the bar scene, I was maybe like, oh, maybe he could have been like, you're going to die from this tumor that you have in your neck or something. But then he does it again at the end when he finds out that the ultrasound and he didn't have cancer. So he he kissed him again. Schmidt just really loves Nick. Can we just establish that? Like, he wants to see his penis. He wants to be able to identify him if he dies by his penis. <laughs> and he feels comfortable enough to just kiss him anytime he wants. Even when Nick isn't so happy about it. But yeah, I think they he really does love him. And I agree. It is definitely out of the brotherly love term for this. But I, it was interesting to kind of look into for us at least. Yeah, no, I'm glad I'm glad we learned a little more and hopefully so did you. Uh, but the second pop culture reference that we're going to highlight this episode is Lucky Magazine. So they, Jess and Nick were in the waiting room at the gynecologist and, you know, she, uh, Nick's starting to freak out about like, oh my gosh, this is like a gynecologist, you know, and Jess is trying to be like, oh, I know it's an OBGYN here. Just like tag the things you want in this Lucky Magazine. And I knew I had heard of Lucky before. It wasn't like a magazine I read regularly, but even Kritika had told me, she's like, yeah, was that like a real magazine? And like, so prompted us to try to look it up. So this was a real magazine. It ran from like 2000 to 2015 when it folded. Um, It was a fashion and lifestyle magazine under the Condé Nast subsidiary, which is like the same one as like Vogue. But in its time, you know, so like while this episode aired, it would be very regular to I would imagine to have a lucky magazine in in a doctor's waiting office especially like in 2012 but then I guess in 2012 too lucky had its first or had the first event of its kind of a fashion and beauty blog conference um so this was like they were really trying to bring together digital fashion beauty and technology celebrity leaders and so kind of like first kind of big event like that for beauty and fashion. Um, but ultimately 
it folded, Lucky Magazine folded, because they didn't really do a good job of transitioning into the online stratosphere and like matching e-commerce with their print publications. So they then folded. But little background about Lucky and how it is a real magazine and it did exist, but it just doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, I think it's great that it was like so ubiquitous that it like was in a product placement kind of thing in this where it was specifically mentioned as opposed to just, hey, take this magazine. It's, hey, take this Lucky magazine. So that's kind of cool. Getting into our guest stars, we saw her already in Jess and Julia. We talked about it and we're going to talk about her a little bit more is June Diane Raphael playing Sadie our favorite gynecologist. And so Sadie, um, June Diane Raphael, I, I just want to call her Sadie all the time, but June Diane was, has been in a lot of TV movies. Um, she was in Grace and Frankie most recently, very big role in that. Uh, but then also has done uh, a role in Big Mouth as a voice, American Dad as a voice. Um, she was in one episode of Splitting Up Together, Fresh Off the Boat, Kirby Enthusiasm Veep. Um, she was also in these eight episodes of New Girl. So this is the second time we've seen her so far. Um, she was in movies of Unfinished Business and Year One, Long Shot, The Disaster Artist. Um, but then personally, I thought it was really exciting that she co-hosts a podcast. Yeah, it's called How Did This Get Made? And it's a movie discussion podcast. And I also learned from this that she does it with, and I'm going to pronounce his name wrong, I'm sure, but Jason Mansukis, right? That's right. Yeah, Mansukis. from How I've Heard It. Um, and her husband, Paul Shear, and I actually didn't know that she was married to Paul Shear. So when we were looking all this up, I was like, oh, it's Andre from The League. Like, that is amazing. And I love when like actors are married to each other and I have no idea because when we find out, I'm like, whoa, my world is like spinning. This is so cool. And and the other thing is that like Andre from the league, aka Paul Shear, um, was also on Fresh Off the Boat. So it's kind of cool that she was on an episode of that as well. And I've actually felt like we've seen a lot of the guest actors that we've highlighted be on episodes of Fresh Off the Boat. So I'm not sure where the parallel is because they're years apart, but it's interesting that a lot of them have done both shows. I also thought it was really, really awesome of, of June Diane Raphael that she co-created the two women catch sketch comedy show Road Hard and Put Away Wet with her friend Casey Wilson. And it was actually part of the it originated with the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater in New York. Um, and that's also where she met Paul Shear. And like bringing up Upright Citizens Brigade again, like. Matt Besser, who we talked about a while ago, um, is also like involved in that and helps set it up. So it's just, there's so much with June Diane Raphael that we could talk about. But just a quick touch on our other guest star of this episode is Ben Hoffman. He played Sherman the Mechanic in this episode. So he's actually done some very interesting things. He's um, a little bit more of a writer. So he had his own show, The Ben Show, with Ben Hoffman and Comedy Central in 2013 for one season. And he was a writer on The Late Late Show with James Corden. But what was really like stood out to us is that he was a writer, executive producer, and like had a did voice acting on Hoops, which is obviously with Jake Johnson, very new. So it was nice to see that he is still kind of involved with the new girl family years later. And also, I guess his older brother, uh, Jake Shears, was the founder and lead vocalist of Scissor Sisters. So it seems like a pretty talented family. However, if you are looking up Ben Hoffman and you want to see more about him, he is not the Iron Man racer. That is a different, a different Ben Hoffman. So 
this Ben Hoffman is a new girl, is a new girl <laughs> guest star. And his stage name is Wheeler Walker Jr. So if he's known by anything else, it's that. And under that name, he actually released three country music albums. So just like a very variety of interests there and stuff that he's done. Yeah. I, I mean, I feel like I maybe didn't notice Ben Hoffman before, but now I feel like I want to go listen to Wheeler Walker Jr.'s music and see what kind of comedic country music he came out with. So in the trivia and fun facts that we found in this episode, really, there was just kind of one that originally came to us on IMDb, but then really aligned with how I felt about this moment is when they all wake up on the beach and they're in LA. So they're facing West facing the ocean. The sun is actually more directly above the water and it doesn't really indicate sunrise, but really sunset. Also, when you see them on the beach, their shadows are kind of behind them. I am not a scientist, but when the sun is directly ahead or in front of you, that means your shadow would be behind you, but they're facing west, facing the ocean, and the sun must be in front of them for their shadow to be behind them. Back me up, Kritika. <laughs> yeah, that's how I saw it too. So it looks like it was filmed actually at sunset instead of sunrise to get the timing kind of right. Um, and we have no idea if this is something that people typically do when they're shooting sunrises if they shoot it at sunset but it was definitely noted and we could verify as much as we can with the shadows that it looks to be that the sun is sun setting the sun is setting not rising so yeah i i think between the two of us and our and our scientific experimentation with the shadows we were able to determine that this imdb fact seemed legit in addition to that one, though, being I'm originally from San Diego and close to L.A., being on the beach and whatnot, I just have to say, we kind of touched on this briefly, but it's winter, early spring, that this episode is taking place. They're even wearing, like Jess is wearing her pink winter coat, that same coat she wore like in the December episode. And while all of you, if like you're, you think of L.A. as like, oh, it's sunny and bright all the time. Not in winter. It gets cold, especially at the beach. It's very windy. It's very damp. The like sea breeze even makes it colder. And I'm just like, they really just fell asleep on the beach. Nick was wet. He had run into the ocean and run back out. And even if he put on dry clothes, those get kind of wet when you put them back on. And I'm just like, the beach is ridiculously cold. It's windy. Nick was wet. He must not be comfortable, and they all seem to happen to just casually fall asleep, no big deal. Uh-uh. At least if they fell asleep, maybe they would fall asleep in Winston's car, even as beat up as it is. It is very uncomfortable to sleep on sand. It's cold. It's just, I was, I was not here for it. I did not want to believe that for a minute. Yeah, I mean, and even when they go out there, they should have, like, taken a towel for him. They knew they were going out to do this. I don't understand. Like, I get the spontaneity of it, but it's a bit much that they couldn't do more and Winston does sleep in his car so is it like if you don't have a couple you can't sleep on the sand like it's all just a little bit suspect and unnecessary but you know if they want to sleep on the sand that's their choice on our end we wouldn't do it too cold too uncomfortable not gonna happen 
But that's the episode for the most part. So getting into the ratings of this episode, IMDb rated this a 7.9 out of 10, and the audience viewership was 6 million U.S. viewers. So we said it's always been getting a little bit lower. Um, For me, this episode was a 7 out of 10. I did enjoy it, but it just wasn't gripping me like some of the other ones have been. So it wasn't the best episode I've seen. I kind of was ready to see the next episode at this point. Yeah, I also gave it a 7 out of 10. For me, it was more, I feel like there were just, it moved really quickly, almost like too quickly. Like they tried to make too much happen in 20 minutes, in my opinion. And so I feel like I enjoyed it. I laughed, but then at the same time, I was, I I also too was just like, okay, I'm ready for the next episode. So 7 out of 10. Uh, My favorite character though in this episode was Jess. I I just thought she was just really nice and supportive. She just wanted to fit in with everybody. And I have to, I just keep coming back to her because I feel like it's, like I've said, it's just like me. It's like what I would do. And so I, I just really appreciate how she was so nice to Nick, no matter what he was saying and no matter what he was doing. And um, she really just was wanting the best for her friend. So Jess, how about you, Kritika? For me, it was Nick. Um, I really felt like he was able to kind of face his insecurities, face his some of his fears and kind of grow a little bit from this. I thought he received the gift of the ultrasound very well. It wasn't this big deal where he was like making a big fuss about it or anything. He just said, I'll pay you guys back. He recognized that they were there to help him. And I think overall his relationships grew out with everyone. So he was my favorite character. And now it's time to get into the spoilers. So for anyone who is not going to keep listening because you don't want to hear any future storylines, we wanted to say thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast. If you found it interesting or you enjoyed it, please give us a rating, leave us a review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to us today. We, as always, appreciate any feedback you have. So shoot us an email at whosthatgirlpod at gmail.com or reach out to us on social media at Instagram and Twitter at Who's That Girl Pod. So you have five seconds to pause. And if you do decide to do so, we'll chat again in two weeks for episode 16. All right. So our spoilers. So starting off with Jess and Nick, this was a really cute episode for them, even though they had a little like moment at the bar where they were fighting sort of about like Nick calling Jess out for not being real. But then they had that moment on the beach where, you know, he's like, you know, I really like having you around. So I think to me, that's very important because that gets them a little bit deeper connection. They're not just having these superficial talks anymore. And I think that's a really good sign of like strong relationship coming, (laughs) if you will. So uh, we both critique and I gave this a rating of seven out of 10 for their relationship where it kind of seems like it could be on the horizon for something to happen between them. Especially with that final scene, like they go through and, you know, Nick is happy and is asking what happened the night before and Jess is kind of smiling and stuff too. So it does feel like something bigger is coming for them. For our next couple, Schmidt and Cece, we thought it was great that Cece opened up about her dad and Schmidt's getting to learn more about her and also leaning on her in this kind of time of difficulty with Nick. We don't know if they're still hooking up or not, but 
I mean, you kind of think they are just from the conversations and their comfort level with each other. So we actually gave them an eight out of 10, which we know is higher than Jess and Nick, although Jess and Nick had a little bit more substance this episode. But with Schmidt and Cece already kind of hooking up, it leads to the fact that it'd be easier for them to be in a real relationship because some of that intimacy is already there for them. Yeah. And even though that they kind of connected um, a little bit this episode, like on an emotional level beyond just intimacy, um, Schmidt kind of getting into our deuce bag tracker is really like we were unimpressed, as we said. So this episode is just really not showing um, that he can be genuine. So we gave it a rating of a 7.5 out of 10, which also means 10 for us is like he's a douchebag. So a little bit closer to that side of the scale. He was really a jerk kind of the whole episode. And he also made that comment about Nick being fat that just wasn't needed. And you're just like, and at the wrong time too. So overall, it just wasn't, it wasn't how um, we wanted to see Schmidt this episode. And it didn't lean towards a, a better situation for him. And lastly, we wanted to share one other quick spoiler with you guys that we kind of caught in this episode during the cafe scene. Nick talks about how he's already wrote half a book about zombies. And if you've seen the show all the way through, you know that he actually ends up writing a book at the end of the show. And so this is kind of like the first step towards that. He actually wrote a book, Z is for Zombies, and I didn't go super well with that one. But towards the end, he writes the Pepperwood Chronicles, and that's like a book that gets him such a good book deal for like the young adult readers. Um, so yeah, kind of a big, a big moment that Nick's starting to allude to that even just in the first season. Um, but critique and I want to thank you again. Thanks for listening to who's that girl, a new girl podcast. We really love your feedback. So please continue to give us ratings, leave us comments and Apple podcasts or wherever you're listening to this. Now you can also send us an email at who's that girl pod at gmail.com or on Twitter and Instagram at who's that girl pod. So we hope to see you back in two weeks for our next episode. Bye.